Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Zibby Owens, and this is Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. As a mom of four kids in New York City and a writer myself, I know all too well how short everyone is on time, so I'm here to help. I'm going to interview authors and writers of all types about their work, especially as it relates to parenting and family issues. Hopefully you can listen while doing 8 million other things and fall in love with these talented scribes and their fantastic books, essays, and songs like I have, plus get some tips on surviving parenthood. For more about me, you can check out my essays at zibbyowens.com. Also, this episode has been sponsored by Chloe's Fruit, the cool way to eat fruit. Just fruit, water, and a touch of organic cane sugar. I don't know about you, but my kids are obsessed with Chloe's Pops. I secretly sneak the dark chocolate pops when they're not looking for a guilt-free delicious treat. Check them out on chloesfruit.com. I'm super excited to be interviewing a wonderful friend of mine today, Lee Carpenter. Lee and I went to business school together and bonded as two writers in a sea of consultants. Lee has since published an incredible book called 11 Days, published by Knopf, and has a new book coming out this summer. So welcome, Lee Carpenter. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you so much for having me. Um, So Lee, tell me more about your background in terms of where you grew up, how did you end up in New York? Um, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, kind of in, in... in the middle of nowhere with a lot of um, siblings and dogs and horses. And it was a very um, quiet childhood. I didn't know if I would end up in New York. I used to come here with my mother, um, you know, on special occasions. And we would go out for lunch or 
go to F.A.O. Schwartz <laughs> or go to the bookstore, or go to the theater. Uh, so I was, you know, n- knew of, about New York. And then when I was uh, an undergrad, I, I really loved the theater and thought maybe my my future would be in the theater. And uh, if you love the theater, you come to New York City. So I really didn't know what I was doing, but I came here kind of with the long-term goal of doing something in the theater, but ended up getting a job um, kind of working in the literary world. And so I, I hung around there for a while. And tell me more about that, your entrance into the literary world. How did you get into writing? You know, uh, it started with my hearing a rumor that Francis Ford Coppola was starting a literary magazine and I wanted to get involved with that. So I relentlessly hounded the uh, woman who had been appointed the editor until she uh, agreed to hire me as her assistant. And the two of us worked together to figure out what we were doing, which was essentially starting a a very small uh, business, but a business nonetheless, which had a literary component. And when I went through that process, I realized that maybe what I wanted to do was be an editor. And we were lucky because we had, among other people working with us, we had hired this freelance copy editor who was Susan Sontag's personal copy editor. She said even when Susan Sontag wrote a postcard, she would hand it to this woman, Carla, to copy edit it for her. Um, But I learned there how to copy edit, how to uh, work with writers, what it means to edit a piece, how really, how to read short fiction, which was something that I hadn't focused on before. And I sort of, I sort of got in my head the idea that Francis Coppola was always saying that a good movie is usually based on a very simple story. And he had lots of examples. And his goal was to create a magazine that would publish short stories, some of which would go on to be films. And that was really the start. And then, then as you know, I went to, I went to business school. Uh, I don't know how I got in, but I went to business school nonetheless, because at that time I thought maybe what I want to do is start another magazine, a larger magazine. Uh, I liked the idea of working with writers, but I, I didn't really know in what capacity I would do that. After business school, I got a job at a uh, another literary magazine called the Paris Review, which I entered into at a very tricky time. The founding editor of the magazine, George Plimpton, had just died, and um, it was uh, it was it was an interesting experience. I used to say it was at the time everyone who knew me said, "Oh, this is the perfect job for you." And I used to say I felt like um, I was dating someone where everyone said, oh, he's the perfect guy for you. And then I would go home and like he'd beat me up and do drugs <laughs> because it was an excruciating um, time. It was it was uh, hard work. And I, I realized I was not, you know, trying to help shepherd this iconic literary magazine. I was really trying to uh, desperately beg people for money so that we didn't um, go bankrupt. So that was that was an incredible learning experience. And um I, I then went on to work as a speechwriter for a politician and thought maybe that was the right avenue for my skill set. And it was during that time that 11 Days, you know, was born. Uh, it's 
it's probably too long of a story to go into, but the short version is I was working with this politician and writing a book with him and we had to get an agent. And while we were writing that book, uh, the politician got sick and the book got put on hold. But that agent took me to lunch and said, you should write your own book. You know, I've seen your work and you should write a book. And I kind of thought, I think I'm an editor, not an author. Um, and then he, he dared me. He said, I, I dare you to try and write 10,000 words under your own name. And he gave me a deadline. He said, if you can write 10,000 words under your own name, I will represent you. Because he was sort of representing the politician, not me. And uh, he gave me a deadline for those 10,000 words, which was May 3rd, 2011. My father had died. My father had been in the military. So I was reading at that time everything I could about the military. I was newly interested in, in a subject I had not had a lot of interest in before. And just reading everything I could, particularly on the subject of special operations because of uh, what my father had done. <clears throat> and one of the books I read was called Lone Survivor um, and by Marcus Luttrell, who was a Navy SEAL, who went missing for a period of time uh, in Afghanistan. And that was all, you know, interesting. But the part of the book that really, you know, uh, broke my heart was when he came back from Afghanistan, he arrived at his house in Texas and he saw what had gone on in that house while he was gone. And what had gone on in that house was everyone in that town had come to help take care of his mother in particular. And they had brought food and, you know, it was sort of like a wake. Um, and the house filled up with people. In fact, the house filled up with so many people, if I'm remembering correctly, that they built a second structure on the property to help kind of contain this, this vigil. And I remember thinking at the time, how would I feel if I was in that house, if my son was missing and I was in that house? And I answered the question, uh, I would want to get out of the house. So I thought I would write 10,000 words about a woman whose son is missing who has to get out of the house. And so she goes for a jog. And I wrote that. And then because, you know, whether or not it was because of Marcos Luttrell in particular, I decided to make her son a Navy SEAL because I knew some Navy SEALs. And I thought, well, at least they can, I can call them and they can tell me if, you know, I'm spelling something wrong. And then I went to meet that agent on May 3rd. And on May 2nd, we had killed Osama bin Laden. And it was SEAL Team 6 who killed Osama bin Laden. So I sat down to meet him, and I said, here are my 10,000 words. And he said, what, what is it about? I said, it's about Navy SEALs. He said, oh, my God, you're kidding me, da-da-da. They were on the cover of every newspaper. Um, I said, I'm, I'm actually serious. That's, that's what I wrote about. On the basis of that 10,000 words, he said, if you write another 20,000, I want to take this out to publishers. Because suddenly there was this sort of SEAL. Uh, suddenly everyone knew what a Navy SEAL was. So I wrote, I ended up writing 40,000 words um, you know, which is not a book, but uh, was was enough. And on the basis of that 40,000 words, we sold the book to Knopf. Uh, that was that was the start of the journey. That's amazing. That's <laughs> an amazing story. I didn't even know that background. That's Well, you know, and then what happened was I, uh, then I actually had to write a book because I had a contract. And that August, August of 2011, I got pregnant, which was... Uh, not planned. So suddenly I had an even bigger deadline 
than the book, which was I was about to have my second son, and I thought, I've got to write this book before I deliver this baby. So I went to meet with my editor, Knopf, and I said, and she said, you know, to take your time with the book. And I said, well, I, 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 I won't take my time. You'll have the book in April because <laughs> the baby's coming in April. Uh, and then I was in this weird, uh, not weird, I was in an unusual position being a pregnant woman writing about the SEAL team community. I think it helped in making me seem less threatening maybe than other journalists because at that time, so many people were trying to talk to Navy SEALs and ask them questions like, who killed Osama bin Laden? Who was in the room? Tell me about your gear. Da, 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 da. And I was going and talking. To- Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. Hey, grownups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery. Perfect for the whole family. Join the cat in the hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. These people and saying, what's your relationship with your mother like? How many times did you Skype your girlfriend from from the base? Uh, Do you get depressed? And almost without exception, you know, after someone's talked to you about their mother, their girlfriend, and their, you know, the fact that they use whatever they use to manage their, um, their bad days, 
almost invariably, I would then say, thank you very much. And they would then say, uh, aren't you going to ask me about the Captain Phillips? Or don't you want to see my, you know, AK, my weapons? Or um, There would always be at the end this moment where they would want to actually talk about um, nothing classified, but they would want to talk about what they do, of course. And so I sort of accidentally got a lot of um, interesting stories, many of which I tried to weave into the book. And I got to know, uh, you know, I got to know some pretty remarkable people. I want to talk a little more about 11 Days and um, your beautiful writing in it. Um, I'm going to read a passage from page 131 of the hardcover. When uh, the mom is on her way, Sarah is on her way to find Jason, having been notified that something's up and she has to um, take a plane and go rescue him. And as a mom, the feeling of what, what she must be going through emotionally, having to get on a plane and travel, knowing that, you know, is her son alive? Is everything okay? Anyway, this is what you wrote, which is beautiful. Um, at the station in DC, she thought she would stop and get something to eat. There was never anything edible on airplanes and she knew they were in for a long flight, perhaps several flights. She would buy something to eat and something to read. She had the same feeling in her stomach she'd had each time she knew Jason was about to come home. The feeling of anticipation and relief that before long she would be laughing with him, as they had always done together, and hearing what was new in his life. It was the feeling that coupled the ease of being with family with the comfort of no longer being alone. So what I liked about this little passage was, as a mom, sometimes you're sitting there by yourself, and then immediately you're in it again with your mm-hmm. child, and the juxtaposition of not having a family and then having, you know, Jason return and what shape would he be in and, um, the dynamic of that, um, interaction between the mom and the son. So I really liked that passage. Thank you. Maybe you could speak more to, uh, you know, mothers of, uh, mothers of people serving in the military don't generally fly on private planes to Afghanistan to meet with their children. But so that part of the book is actually quite, is almost like a a fantasy element, but I wanted to show, I wanted to take a mother to the battlefield. You know, another very famous book that had a huge impact on me is a book called Black Hawk Down, which was also made into a movie. And that book opens with the line, uh, you know, Sergeant Matthew Eversman puts on his helmet. And I opened 11 Days with the line, you know, in the bedroom, Sarah puts on her running shoes. I wanted to weave throughout the book, uh, if I tried to weave throughout the book, this idea that the mother is the warrior. She is the warrior because we, you know, we all are fighting the battle of being, being mothers. And I thought, if I really want to take that to conclusion, she's going to have to go there. She, I, I have to take her to the Middle East. Normally, in these kinds of cases, the, the child comes home to the mother. Um, and by the way, he's not a child. I mean, he's a grown man by this point. But of course, we will always think of our children as, as, our, as our children. And I wanted to contrast in the book the incredible complexity of the training that her son has undergone and for example, all of the things that he wears when he goes out to do what he does and the simplicity of her, the relative simplicity of her life. She's a very complex woman, but you know, that for her, she wants to, you know, wear something appropriate and eat something healthy. And she's trying to think about these simple things in a moment of incredible crisis. 
um, she's trying to stay calm. And I know uh, as a mom, you know, recently you've gone through a divorce, as have I. Do you use exercise in that way? Do you feel like you grab, you know, grab onto simple things in the face of chaos? I, I do. You know, I'm not really a runner. And the idea of Sarah being a runner, I stole from back to um, Francis Ford Coppola. When I was uh, working for him, one of the stories I read that I had never read before is a, is a is an incredible short story by John Cheever called The Swimmer. And The Swimmer is the story, uh, it's a perfect short story, and it's a story of a man who goes running through his neighborhood, swimming through his neighborhood swimming pools. And as he goes from backyard to backyard and swims each pool, he has this train of thought. And I sort of stole that that structure for the opening of my book where Sarah goes running. And while she's running around, uh, near where she lives through her neighbor's property, she's, she's thinking about her son. So I don't use running. Um, I don't use meditation, which I probably should, but I do use exercise. I do feel that that is a, um, a simple way for me to do one thing that I can do. And then if I do nothing else the whole day, I feel I've, um, I've done that. It's a way of, um, having some kind of routine because our days as parents, as you well know, get um, are hard to predict. What do you think is one of the hardest parts of parenting, at least right now? Your your sons are my sons are nine and five. Um, you know, when I was little, my best friend's mother. Yesterday, my nine-year-old told me that he knows what it means when someone puts up their middle finger. (laughs) My response to that was to tell him when I was little, my best friend's mother used to put up her pinky finger and she would say, for those who don't deserve the very best. (laughs) And this woman was so cool. She was cool, beautiful, funny, bright mother who was also deeply religious, who would talk to us about, you know, Christ and gratitude and forgiveness and, and, uh, responsibility. But always what I remember and what I think about when I think of her was that pinky finger, holding up that pinky finger for those who don't deserve the very best. Because I think the hardest thing about parenting is to really own the fact that no one else's judgment matters. You know, that, we feel judgment, I feel judgment, whether it's from, you know, other parents or teachers or coaches or, um, you know, to kind of, to kind of say, you know, what matters and who matters, you know, is my, my ethical arrangement, my ethical contract with myself, um, what matters is my children, you know, and then pretty much everyone else can, can have the pinky, the pinky <laughs> finger, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just remembering that everyone's just trying to get through the day, you know, and to, to, to ju- judge less, I think. I get it. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, 11 days was absolutely amazing. I know Thank I just you. mentioned to you, it's, um, everybody, I know moms don't have a lot of time, but, uh, 11 days is definitely Thank you so should much. be at the top of the list. And I know you have a new project coming out. So talk to me more about that. Um, yes, I, uh, 
The new book is called Red, White, Blue. It's, uh, it's coming out from Knopf in August. It's about, well, I've been saying it's about the CIA and marriage. Um, and I chose the title Red, White, Blue because the book is uh, a lot about China. And there's an avalanche that's very central to the book. And there's a scene involving the ocean that's very important. So I always sort of had that as a placeholder holder title. But it's stuck. And then someone pointed, a writer I admire, pointed out to me the other day that red, white, blue is sort of a nice title for a book about marriage. Because you have sort of the, the red heat of the love and the passion. And you have the white of what can often be very chilly, lonely moments. And you have... Um, the blue, which is water, which, you know, maybe are tears of joy or tears of sadness. Um, but it's, uh, it is a story of a woman who is married to a very successful music producer and who sells his company and comes to her and says, you know what, I, I, I want to be a politician. And how she then goes down the rabbit hole of having to be a politician's wife and how that changes her. That story told in parallel with a kind of confession um, from a former China-based CIA case officer. So as you learn the history of this woman, I also tried to tell the history of the CIA, and I don't know. I, I, I hope it has, I hope it has, uh, finds its audience. It sounds amazing. I <laughs> can to read it. Thank you. Thank you so Thank you. much for coming in and, and talking to this podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And again, Lee Carpenter, 11 Days, and look for her new book this summer. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please check out my essays on zibbyowens.com. Again, this episode has been brought to you by Chloe's Fruit, the cool way to eat fruit. Mm-hmm.